That doesn't mean pharmacies can sit still. It doesn't mean they can't do anything or what they're supposed to be doing now. It, it all should be taking place. It, it's basically like a trial run with no consequences. During this stabilization period, not acting is really not an option. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip goth, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Well, hello, everybody. This is Bruce Neeland with another edition of Pharmacy Crossroads. Today, I'm excited to introduce two industry experts, um, one of whom I've known for 25 or 30 years and another who I know we've crossed paths casually in the past. And we're going to be talking about a terribly important industry issue, um, the, the, supply ch the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. And it's an acronym that I stumble on every time I, I try it, so I'll leave that up to the experts. But I have Perry Fry, who is the Executive Vice President for Membership and Education and Industry Relations for the Health Distribution Alliance. And we'll talk a little bit about what that is as we go through the program. But it's essentially, it's the group that uh, uh, represents the in the industry, the distributors, your wholesalers, drug distributors, uh, terribly important organization to every pharmacy in the country. And then I'm delighted to have Pat Lavella. Pat is the manager of strategic initiatives or some fancy uh, title like that with Value Drug, which is a cooperative wholesaler that I've had dealings with for 30 years. I'm a former Pennsylvanian and they right in the center of Pennsylvania, a great distributor of pharmaceuticals and supporter of independent pharmacies who who typically are stockholders if they're if they're buying from Value Drug. So, but Perry, we're we're talking about this supply chain issue. Give us a brief background as to why this is important for an independent pharmacy owner and where did it come from? Well, Bruce, I think supply chain security is a topic that the industry has talked about for at least 30 years when I knew you back at NWDA uh, when we first started. But the SCSA really evolved out of a lot of challenges that we were having Um DSCSA was uh, evolved out of a lot of challenges we were having in Florida and California uh, back in the early 2000s um, that had to do with actual uh, counterfeit drugs, but also with the regulations that were starting to go into place uh, in individual states like Florida and California. So DSCSA, in a way, was a solution to get us one law across all 50 states so that we wouldn't have had something that um, uh, that was different in, in each and every locale. Well, and the supply chain is, uh, you know, it's critically important. And, and even today, I just read a 
LinkedIn post from somebody who had discovered that they had ended up with some counterfeit product on their shelves. So it, it's it's going on. It's there. It's happening. So Pat, you're the you're the guy who's closest to the pharmacy in this in this meeting. Uh, you have what with Value Drug? What five, six, seven hundred uh, independent customers? How how, how big's the reach? Primarily, we're sort are in Pennsylvania and the states surrounding it. We do reach out into about a little over twenty states right now. We're probably in that six fifty to seven hundred account range. Okay, and in your role, you're dealing intimately with these guys. How's this? What's what's this mean for a typical pharmacist that, that this law has been passed? Um, and then I guess that means we need to talk about it's the implementation has been delayed and and how people can't relax when they hear that. What's going on? So yes, Bruce, and, and again, thank you for being here. I, it's a pleasure to do this with you and Perry. Um, the where they're calling it now, the the stabilization period, I guess it is. And it's not that DSA is not going live or did not go live November of 23, but simply the, the FDA is not going to enforce the provisions until November of 2024. That doesn't mean pharmacies can sit still. It doesn't mean they can't do anything or what they're supposed to be doing now, it, it all should be taking place. It, it's basically like a trial run with no consequences. Um, during this stabilization period, not acting is really not an option. They need to be doing, learning what the process is, how it needs to work, how they're going to receive and check in their orders. And look at their what they should have as their standard standard operating procedures their protocols as if so if they do find something how are they going to treat that how are they going to quarantine that product properly notify the wholesaler they purchase it from so it can be reviewed and looked to see that it is a legitimate product well so you know i it's it's been a while since i've been in a in a pharmacy that was checking an order in Right now, when you're checking an order and you scan the product, and and um, is there any kind of an alert that comes up if the product's questionable? I mean, what does this look like when the store receives their order and goes to scan it in? We have a program in place where we use can use various types of instruments, whether it's something that looks like a cell phone or an iPad that we actually scan the barcodes, the either the linear or the 2D barcode, depending upon what the product has right now. And it verifies what was sent from our wholesaler or the wholesaler to make sure that we were we are we have received the actual product that they shipped and we are entering it into our records. And so I hear the word serialization. Perry, where does that fit? Is that part of what's still the problem? Yeah, Bruce, I was going to say, um, you know, serialization is exactly that. So what we've done is um, we've incorporated into a global standard that's called the GTIN, the Global Trade Identification Number, the usual NDC, along with information that includes uh, a serial number that was produced and put on a package by the manufacturer. So the trick for manufacturers and distributors and pharmacies is you know the product is 
moving through the supply chain at the same time data is moving through the supply chain. So a product with a serial number that moves from a manufacturer to distributor has to arrive at the distributor uh, at the same time that the data is arriving so that the distributor has something to scan against, right? So I got to know what's coming into my system. The same thing's got to happen. Uh, the same thing's got to happen at the pharmacy, right? So that serial number is what's going to be able to identify that specific NDC. So there could be, I don't know, 10 or a, a million uh, packages out of one lot number um, of a specific NDC. Well, each one of those is going to have its own unique uh, serial number. Well, and then I mean, I guess what that means is the stabilization period over this over this coming year, the kinks and that are supposed to be worked out. Is that correct? Yeah. So you know, Pat made a really good point. Like the stabilization period isn't um, you know isn't a pause in what we're trying to do. Uh, the law technically went into effect in 2023, and everyone's supposed to be doing what they were supposed to be doing at the time the law went into effect. Uh, we're finding that it's really complicated to share data, right? Um, and uh, some companies across the supply chain, not in any one really particular part of the supply chain, all companies are having challenges to one degree or another, matching all of these data and serial numbers up uh, so that transactions work the way they should. So the idea of the stabilization period is to be able to learn from all the mistakes that we're gonna be making over the first few months. So by the time we get to November of this year, 24, we have a system that works. Okay. So uh, Pat, earlier before we started recording, you were telling me a little bit about the the value of a verified or, a, a, and to correct, use the proper language, the verified wholesalers bring to the supply chain and to this problem for their customers, what what's the role of the wholesaler, and what kind of wholesalers are we looking for? What's the criteria? Well, so for the wholesaler, the biggest requirement is one to provide the product, and two to provide the data in some type of repository downstream that the pharmacy can access when they receive that product to make sure that it is the right product that was shipped to them. By using a wholesaler that is verified, it will greatly enhance that they have that information when they receive that product. And there's no question about where did that product come from? Um, most verified wholesalers only buy directly from the manufacturer. They're not buying it from um, a secondary or another source that has product out there. So therefore, they will be receiving the data tied to that, the traceability information, I guess, is what we're calling it now. It's no longer a pedigree as far as that goes. They are receiving that traceability information by the time that product gets to the pharmacy. And so when they scan that product in, they're just verifying that what was shipped to them is legitimate product. They have received it. And if something happened, then they know that what happened with that product happened in transit. And it makes it much easier to go back and look to see where there could be issues. Pat, if I could build on that, you know, the law itself specifically references what they call authorized trading partners or ATPs. And um, 
Uh, that's a part of the law that's been in effect for some time. That is not something new or that that we're waiting for November of 24 to get to. And it is the responsibility of every stakeholder in the supply chain to only do business with authorized trading partners. So there's some responsibility in this case on the part of pharmacies to actually do the research about the distributors that they're doing uh, they're doing business with. And so you might be able to clarify some of this for me. You know, I understand, you know, pharmacies, you know, typically have a primary wholesaler, primary vendor of some kind. Um, and then there's a lot of options um, from a secondary perspective, whether it's for generics or or something else. But the more you diversify your wholesaler partners, the more work you're going to have to do to not only manage and store the information that you're getting from them, um, but the more work you're going to have to do to ensure that they each and every one of them is and continues to be an authorized training partner. So I, I guess the short version, if if you're buying from your primary wholesaler, you're covered. I mean, the all the you know, the major ones are fully compliant with the with the rules at, at, at this point. It would be some of the secondary suppliers, or clearly, if you're getting an offer for a deal that is extremely attractive and hard to resist, but that's when you might run into a problem. You you said it very well right there, Bruce. <laughs> yes. Well, and the corollary here that I want to wonder about is I, I just got my American Pharmacist magazine, the NCPA journal, and on the front of it was a listing for a, one of those companies that allows pharmacies to sell overstocked items to other pharmacies. What what kind of opportunity and problem does that present for this whole uh, DSCSA issue? The law requires dispensers to provide product tracing information to other dispensers upon the transfer of ownership of a product unless the transfer is done under what's called the specific patient need exception. And this exception exists for sales by a dispenser to another dispenser to fulfill a specific patient need, which is defined as transferring a product from one pharmacy to another to fill a prescription for an identified patient. It does not include any transfers from one pharmacy to another to increase or replenish stock in anticipation of a, a potential need. So back to the, to the pharmacist who's worrying right now about the DIR fee apocalypse and fighting, you know, we just went to the pharmacy to fill our script and realize it's going to cost us a couple hundred bucks because we're starting our deductible all over again. And the poor guy had to come out and explain that to me and five other people when we were there. <laughs> Make a case for what it is that they should be doing now at the store level. Um, and I guess I'm still concerned about training and and issues for staff and setting up a policy for how to identify and what to do if there's a suspicious product. Pat, can you talk about that? Sure. So as we said, Bruce, there's there's two parts to this. There's the product and there's the data that goes with that product. Um, when the pharmacy receives that product and they scan it in and it should verify with what the wholesaler has sent to them through that downstream repository, the pharmacy is also required to have in place a set of SOPs to handle 
if there is what they think is a suspect product, if there is product that then would have to be into a put into a quarantine and reach back to that wholesaler. So the wholesalers themselves are not responsible for providing those SOPs, but the wholesalers can, and they have worked with other agencies that are out there, other companies that will provide that information. So there's a tie together on both ends of that equation, but the wholesaler themselves does not, is not held to that. Okay. So at the store level, there are standard operating procedures, training requirements, so those kinds of things that they have to, they have to implement at the store level. And if they don't, and they end up with this, a, a bad product, who's going to, Who's going to slap them on the wrist or, you know, what, what's the enforcement thing going to look like? And I know we don't know that, but what do you suspect it's going to look like January 2025? Perry, I guess I'll leave that to you. That's that's a bigger industry issue, right? Yeah, you know, oh, Bruce, I think that's a really interesting question, right? Um, my, my, you know, my understanding is the bulk of that's going to start with the state boards of pharmacies that are inspecting and, and managing the pharmacies. Um, but I, I, I think there's still a lot of work to do to figure out how that's going to get pushed downstream to the pharmacy. My guess, uh, and, and this is just my guess, um, is there's so much volume and, and so much technology and so much work that's being done at the manufacturer and distributor level that I believe the initial lens of enforcement is going to start there, right? Uh, and it's easier to take a look at, you know, 100 big manufacturers and, uh, you know, 10 big wholesalers and try to understand whether this stuff is working. So I feel like the focus is going to start there. That doesn't mean they're not going to look at pharmacies in January of 25. Um, it's definitely a part of the equation. And to be honest with you, that's where we see the problems, right? So the problem isn't with Pfizer manufacturing counterfeit drugs. Um the problem is somehow through a, um, uh, you know, a bad wholesaler of some kind or some other bad actor, you know, they're unfortunately duping a pharmacy into, uh, you know, buying a counterfeit drug. And and the things we're finding are at that level and not further upstream. So um, I think the focus will quickly turn to where the biggest impact can be made. So for the for the product integrity, I guess the short answer is make sure you're buying from a validated. There used to be this verified, certified pharmacy distributor. Has that name been changed? Vod? So yeah, I think you're talking about what was what used to be called the uh, verified accredited wholesale distributor, which was the VOD program, which was managed by NABP, and they have since changed the name of that program. Um, but that's still that's that's only part of it. I mean, it really is about the licensing, um, you know, that they that those wholesalers have with the state, uh, with the DEA, with FDA, and everything like that. And that's research that the pharmacy should be doing in order to do business with any given wholesaler. Recognizing that any pharmacy is going to work probably more, with more than one farm uh, with more than one wholesaler. Yeah, but there's plenty of secondary suppliers, for lack of a better term, who are clearly of reputable companies and and would be in compliance with this but is there a way for somebody to know that uh, rather than other than their salesman telling them that they are is there some certification process 
the, there's not actually. I mean, there's the licensing that happens with the states and, and okay. with the feds, but um, beyond that, I don't think there's a recognized certification for wholesalers. Okay, that that's good for me and to so, know. Which is why it's really important. Yeah, I think it's important for pharmacies to understand that they do have that burden to, you know, to make yeah. sure that any of the companies, the wholesalers and distributors are doing business with are, 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 are companies that, you know, kind of meet the requirements of authorized trading partner. I go, I go a step further, Bruce, and talk about the, you know, uh, Pat mentioned suspect and illegitimate products. I mean, that's a term of art that I think is laid out in, in the law. And there's a difference between suspect and illegitimate, right? Suspect is, hey, this number doesn't match this product. I need to inspect it and figure out what the problem is and figure out whether that product is indeed illegitimate or whether that was just an error uh, in the transmission of the data or, or something else, right? So there could be an exception to manage, or then you have to decide whether it becomes a, a you know another a, a illegitimate and product, in which case you have to quarantine it and have processes in place for that. Which, which again, is the part that comes back to the response. That's the wholesaler can't be there to help check it in. So you're, you're going to the pharmacy is going to have to have a way to train their people and for them to know exactly what they're supposed to do when they see something that's quirky or uh, unusual or they have reason to suspect. And and that's a you know that's a workflow uh, operating issue and and that's clearly what. I guess from my take on our conversation today is that's clearly what we're trying to figure out how to make sure these people are on the, on top of and doing. And um, there's, I, I know there's companies who, who are set up to try to train and help do this uh, and, and, you know, keep track of stuff that you buy from different people and combine that all into one, one pedigree or, or Pat, you said there's a new word that replaced pedigree traceability. Is that the word? That's what I believe it. They're calling it okay. now, yes, traceability. So, I mean, that's the issue day in, day out, checking in hundreds of items. If something quirky comes up, Somebody's got to have, and, and ha they have to document that they saw it, that they talked to their boss, that they did something with it, and document the process for how they uh, how they tracked traced it back. And that's a that's a time that's a that's a burden. That's something to worry about. You know, I, I think Bruce, my understanding is back sometime around October. I think there was still I saw a report somewhere that up. Upwards of 30% of all products coming into uh, distribution centers or wholesalers still did not have the, re the requisite data with them or tied to it, yeah. which makes it even more of an issue when that product then is moving downstream to the dispenser or the pharmacy because they don't have the data to send to them. And so the pharmacy is going to be put into a situation sometime here and maybe even from secondary wholesalers when they have product, but they don't have data, what's going to happen to that? How is that going to be treated? I think is going to be the issue that pharmacies are going to struggle with going forward. Well, and we're, we're going to run out of time here pretty quick, Perry, I'm going to come back to you for help. If um, a listener is listening to this and, and, uh, Wanting more information, I'm assuming that the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, HDA, 
has a web page with some information on it. Can you t- share that with us? You'd imagine correct. Yeah, you'd imagine correct, Bruce. Thanks. Uh, it's simple. DSCSA.pharmacy. We've worked closely with NCPA, APHA, NABP, and a few other of the dispenser organizations to develop that content uh, and make sure that there's access to information for pharmacies across the board. And if uh, what's that webpage again, Perry? DSCSA. That's the one you got to get right, though, Bruce. DSCSA.pharmacy. Okay. Otherwise, and, you can find it. You can find it on the HDA.org uh, website. Well, and if anybody's confused, email me, and I'll I'll get the right information back to you. Pat, what would be your final word of advice to a pharmacy owner here, who's confused, upset, and anxious over this because it's one more time somebody tells them something he's got to do or he's not going to make any money. What what's the uh, what's the sweet spot? What's make them feel good? Well, they're gonna. I don't know if I can make them feel good, but they're gonna have to do some work. I mean, they're gonna have to take some time. They're gonna have to read and know what the law is and what they're responsible to do. They have to have their SOPs in place. There's no doubt about that. Reach back to your wholesaler to find out what they can actually do to help you. You know, they're going to provide you the data one way or another. We've been doing that for a couple of years now in many cases. And they can hook you up with other companies to work on the SOP issue. And the other thing is, and it's something that's minor, but it's going to be an issue is make sure that their pharmacy systems are set up to scan 2D barcodes. It, ah. It's going to be a, a cost expense. Uh, most of the PMSs will probably work with you to get that set up when the time starts, but they have to know how to do those things. And, you know, instead of sending, sitting at home at night, spending two hours looking at TikTok videos, you're going to have to do some work. So it's uh, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And I think that's kind of where we are with the with most of the pharmacy owners who I talk about. They they unfortunately thought, well, we got this reprieve of a year. I'm not going to worry about it now. And the reprieve for the year was not to rest and relax. It was to get ready. And um, this thing is coming. It's important. Uh, let's face it, nothing's more important than to make sure that the pill that I get in my prescription is what is right for me. And that is the essence of the pharmacy profession, right drug, right person, right time. And um, there is a problem with counterfeit medications out there. And that's why we have this rule. Hey, Perry Fry, HGA Health Distribution Alliance. Thank you. Pat Lavella, uh, strategic manager for Value Drug Company. You guys are the best. Uh, We're going to call that a day for this uh, particular episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. And ladies and gentlemen, we're hoping something we said here will allow you to do more and be better. Take care. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.